Hello and welcome to part two of Wildwork, five years in. Part two is themed around the Wildwork philosophy of teaching people about nature through a positive lens, exploring concepts related to ecophobia, place-based learning, and experiential outdoor learning, and how and why Wildwork's educational approach can be successful. So this program, at one point, it was going to be, it might not have been able to happen in person at all. Maybe things will still change. We could end up back. And it's designed to be adaptable. But when we were putting in the application for this program, we had it was designed with COVID in mind, with not being able to do it in person. And before even the application, COVID had led us to a space where we still needed to provide this our services, but we couldn't do it in person. So how how could we do this work? And started happening is we started doing more stuff which we've been doing little bits already but just more of it now creating videos podcasts um like we've done a lot of that sort of work for clients that like you could go to wildwork website and look up our podcast channel or youtube channel but a lot of the actual stuff we developed it's not actually up there yet because people are just have it for their own use or whatever but we found that that was a space that was growing and everyone has had this experience has happened for teachers of course having to teach people through technology so we COVID put us into that space and actually Wildrick is about learning about stuff in nature you could say it's the opposite of learning about it through online and technology in a classroom so perhaps historically for people that are teaching in a Wildrick away or through a place-based or an experiential or an outdoor education approach I mean you don't use technology like kind of yeah. the way it is it's like so you want to teach people about caves like you go caving yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and you create the conditions where people are very stimulated about what they're in the cave and they're all interested in it and you oh. then they want to learn about caves then you start telling them yeah yeah so i guess that might mean that you could have a negative outlook you could be almost anti-technology but you're not seeing it for what it can do to complement stuff so we with COVID, we kind of embraced it more. Lots of people did. Yeah, and, we did. I had to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't so, it all really as the learning concept before. It just hadn't. Like, so what are the bells and whistles then to this the training program is that we have those technology pieces built in. And the other thing about technology before COVID, we were exploring this anyway through like academic linkages, is that not everyone can get outside. So if you want to socially include everyone, Sometimes if there's a magical woodland in a local community, there could be a lot of people living in the nursing home and they can't go to that woodland. But they might be able to see and hear perfectly well. So what's wrong with going to the woodland and capturing information or a story or something from that woodland imagery or sounds of bringing it to those people and sharing with them? So like there's... There are ways that you can use technology in a really cool way for bringing people together, for learning about nature. So it's it's not about like comparing like is it better to do it online or is it better to do it in the woods? No, it's like complimentary. Any day I'd say it's better in the woods. Yeah, but <laughs> that'd be my answer. But like that doesn't mean that the technology part can't be really cool and really interesting and really useful, so and valuable. So just just a personal comment on that, if I might. Is it, is it Jim that you went for the walk along the coast with? Um, 
it might have been Jim Wilson. I, I thought it was this. There's a video on your channel where you start and you're walking along with the side and you're asking the fella that you're with about which birds are there and he's telling you. And then you go off out over the sand and you're filming the water rippling and then you find this structure and you go in. I watched that on a Friday evening and I was there. And it was so simple. It was just video. Yeah. But I was there, you know, and it was so relaxing. <laughs> it was so relaxing. I was like, wow. That's good, isn't it? Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. Was that with Jim? Who's that with? It, no, I, no. No, it was a different fella. There's there's a biodiversity action plan. There was mm. developed in Passage. Passage. County Cork. Yeah. And the rising under that, uh, a biodiversity group ended up being mm -hmm. formed in Passage. And one of the sort of aims, one of the action areas of the plan is to engage with academia and to see if there are ways that community and university could come together and help do things together linked around the plan. Yeah. And there's a person, Annalisa Setti is her name, and she works in UCC in the area of applied psychology. She teaches students all about it and she's an active researcher in this space as well. Her interest well, she has lots of interests, but one of her, when I first met her, one of her main areas of work was cognitive health mm. and how nature could be used to help, help your brain be healthy in your old age. And yeah. Annalisa had been working on something where she wanted to capture nature-themed footage to be able to share with hospital patients. And the footage was going to be virtual reality footage using headsets. So... Annalisa happens then to live in Passage and she was one of the people who wanted to become linked up mm -hmm. and Annalisa and the local community had what they had in well she's from the local community but she didn't know the people in the biodiversity group yeah. she knew CCAD she'd been working with me and she knew Wildwork first so mm -hmm. her relationship we'll say was a Wildwork one initially and we made that connection between Annalisa and this community in Passage, where she was living, she isn't from Passage, you know, so Annalisa is actually Italian. Mm. So we made that connection there and she wanted to capture this footage to share for, for research purposes and for who knows how it could be used. This was before COVID now as well ever came along. Yeah. So we decided to try and develop that as an idea. So we, we brought together the people from Passage, the group. Annalisa became part of that group. And likewise, she's the academic. And then this linked in with another project that we were doing in U through UCC work that we're doing. We have an initiative thing going on there in UCC where this project was actually, it's themed around CCAD, biodiversity and UCC and trying to create these linkages to do with all that. It's called CUBA, you know, Community University Biodiversity Action. Okay. In 2018 or 19, we had this very simple idea. Let's find people in the university who are interested in biodiversity, who are interested in nature, and who would like to do something engaged with local community, to link their work in with community in some way. And this is kind of Annalisa came about through this work as well. There's all these linkages. So anything to do with local development companies like West Limerick or Cavan or Seca, there's all these sort of connections that you wouldn't even realize, right? Yeah. So it brought Annalisa's idea together and the local biodiversity group where we have to have some idea what will we take on for an idea and what they wanted to do was let's explore how would you capture nature 
team footage to share with the hospital patients. And very quickly, COVID came along and we couldn't use the VR headsets idea because sharing headsets and social distancing and all that, right? Yeah. Plus, we couldn't really be together, but what we could use is phones. And we kind of thought this would be better anyway. And what we also had in mind then is, wouldn't it be great if you could get young people to be the ones to capture the footage? And we could create then more of a social connection between young people and old people in the community so that the young people could try to capture the footage and share it with the old people in the nursing home, we'll say, hypothetically, who can no longer go to the woods or the walkway or whatever. And um, that was all the thought process and what we're, our aims were. But like, how do you capture nature video? So we were exploring how to do that using just a phone now basically and sharing the footage and that, we had a morning session with the group and we were exploring how to do it and that video became an output the person you asked me about his name is Walty Murphy he's from Walty. Passage he's That's lived it. there his, he's lived there his whole life mm. he's a local community volunteer everybody in Passage almost everyone in Passage certainly that have lived there for years know who Walty is and Walty is I don't know what age he is but he's definitely older than 70 I would say anyway. <laughs> and so he's part of the elderly community and this all resonates with him and he's fierce, passionate about nature. And he's just, it's just amateur interest, I suppose. He's never worked as a professional in this space. He actually worked, I think he worked, he told me he worked with Pfizer before. Or, so he worked in local industry in Cork. Yeah. And he's the guy that we're walking with, just looking at what we could see along the line, that's what it's called, which is the local greenway down in Cork, which goes from Cork City down to Passage, and there's it's going to continue on down to Crosshaven. In fact, at some point it'll be all connected up. So that's what we were capturing for that video for that video footage. And then what we're hoping it turns into is that if young people think, oh, this is a cool thing to do, that we we're kind of hoping they would start doing that then. And it would get young people more engaged in nature because we're mentioning different species of birds in it. Yeah. just talking about what's there but it is really it is actually really cool the sounds and all that but it's completely amateur like how we put that together mm -hmm. me and walty did that together and i am absolutely not a technology expert or certainly not a video uh <laughs> expert and we just did that with a phone and we thought wouldn't it be lovely as it kind of develop a style for how you could do that to encourage others to do the same and mm -hmm. it's you can now it has it's yet to go on to the next step but that's where all that video came out of but Annalisa another thing we developed with her was this survey called Grow yeah. which is part of the training program and that program is looking at that piece of research is looking at what are the well-being no it's, it's not looking at that there's loads of research out there you can find you can look up anyone can look up that shows that nature is good for people's health yeah. that engaging with nature is good for people's health but if, say, a company was to develop a walk, like the one we mentioned earlier, for the purpose of using nature to make that facility a healthier place for staff to work, if the staff do not use the facility, it will be useless for their health. So <laughs> they have to actually use it for it to be good. And... So therefore, the survey, it asks lots of questions around nature and what are your interests and so on. But psychologically speaking, the survey is looking at what are the motivational factors around why people would engage with nature in a workplace setting. 
so that if we get enough of people to participate in this survey, it's all anonymous, you could start to see what are the kind of real important factors. So if you did want to develop, if you did want to invest money in developing a nature themed resource like a biodiversity walking trail or a bird hide, for example, or VR headsets, you wanted to purchase them about some interactive woodland experience, it would be good to know like, well, would people use it and what would need to be in place to kind of guarantee that they would use this? So we're trying to learn that sort of stuff. So the person that's behind the development of that survey in UCC is Annalisa Setti. And she's the same person who lives in a local community in Passage and is interested in biodiversity. And, and like somewhere along the line, what brought all that stuff together was that there was some people that were paid for their job to make this happen. So there was lots of volunteers, whatever, but ultimately the coordination and the bringing it together, there was a role there that was played by people. I was involved with some more people who, who weren't actually there as volunteers. So Walty was a volunteer. I wasn't. I wasn't there volunteering. I was there because someone was paying me and we it helped to bring this stuff about. And, you know, that's a really, that project actually, that video, is there's a lot behind it, actually. Yeah, it was... Um a cold glass of water or something it was just very refreshing I remember I felt I, I watched it and I thought oh that was lovely <laughs> that, was, that was very nice because I suppose I hadn't just hadn't ever occurred to me the concept of using something like recorded on a phone do you know like as you see all these nature videos and you see all these fabulously produced shots and you go wow isn't that amazing but it's never of your locality you know it's not of park down the road or the woodland or the local stream or the stretch of beach that you walk with your dog every day so it's always some somewhere else and um it's always very well done and produced and put together and that's what you see and just the notion that you could go out with a mobile and just film a walk and then have it be a really lovely thing for somebody else watch was was new for me actually I, I hadn't really considered that before so I, I really I felt I learned an awful lot about wild work by watching that video yeah that makes absolute sense mm. it's good to hear that you got that from it but like that's it like that video look of course could be even better but it is good right and one of the reasons why it's good is that there are some mistakes that were made along the way of that weren't made in that video. Yeah. Like, there was a, yeah. like it wasn't the first. So I, I captured that with my phone, one. but it wasn't yeah. my first goal. There was a few things that I learned about how to capture video footage. Learned them very quickly just to try to narrow that you could, I would say, like to produce a good video, there's probably just basics that everyone needs to know. And it, you'd be amazed when the opportunity comes up to capture these little bits of footage. Mm. Like a, a lot of time video is created through planning and script mm -hmm. writing and all this, but a lot of the time, and this is the place-based concept too, is that sometimes the moment like that you need for the, the magic moment, it just comes to you, you know? And if you happen to have a phone, then it can be captured. And if you just know how to do that mm -hmm. correctly. So that's a kind of a key thing where we could go wrong here where we could get loads of bits of footage now on phones, whatever. And not coming back to the theory of how we teach things, when I used to teach people, we'll say in the outdoors, a lot of the time there was actually, there was something that you had to cover. Like, so I used to work in outdoor sports mm. and it was rock climbing, we'd say, or kayaking. So people had to be learn how to 
paddle in a straight line or there was and you developed ways to like fine tune that and how you would do that and during those programs what i started to realize then doing that stuff was that it always became about something came up during the course of the activity that actually became the thing that people want to learn about so mm. yes it was cool to learn how to do abseiling or kayaking or surfing or whatever outdoor sports it could be right for the people but ultimately something else happened in that environment where they were never before in a lake in Galway and they were interested in something to do with the lake or why are all those little things in the rocks oh that's limestone and it's how it erodes or something comes up to do with geology but you started to realize that outdoor education is about teaching people about the outdoors not just outdoor sports and so within that then you find that there are different theories and ideas out there for how to teach people you might want to teach them about the history of the natural landscape and you could use this approach there and there are many different ones and like and so play space your man so bell he was kind of involved in it and he was involved in this ecophobia yeah. what he was getting at was that you used the natural environment around you to teach people about the things so if you're next to if there's a river next to your school and kids need to learn about rivers that's where you go like you use that river and then one thing can lead to the other but the learning is almost driven by the resource which is the natural environment so these are kind of more theories like the ecophobia thing was he was like it turns people off like if you go negative on it so just don't do that and then there's all these other things where you can use outdoor stuff and one person i encountered along the way that you might have heard of this fellow is cornell joseph cornell and one time when we were in college one of our lecturers was experimenting with cornell stuff and he had a go off of running a Joseph Cornell session with us as the class. And it's there's there was these games that you play. Mm. And the idea is that you could then use them to teach people about a topic. And they're broken into four different types of games. So the learning experience that Cornell talked about is where I actually forget technical terms now nearly, but the first stage where you have to awaken, maybe I'll remember it, you have to awaken enthusiasm. So you play some sort of a game, you do some sort of an activity. The purpose of it is to awaken enthusiasm, to get people invigorated. Yeah. And he had all these kind of games that he had used that worked and you could use. So there was a, he has a book and there's a menu of games that they're yeah. all suited to awakening enthusiasm. So example, with five-year-olds, you go into a classroom and you ask them all to act like monkeys. You don't tell them how, you just act and they all go, Ooh, ah. And they go, and then you ask them all to act like lions and you ask them all to act like tigers and you just let them do, you're getting them kind of in a good mood and awakening enthusiasm. And the next games then were all designed around focusing attention. So it was like you did some sort of game with them that just got, I can't even think of an example of it, but it was almost like it got them to do something physical or got them connected in with some moment. And there's all these sort of games that are suited to that Mm. purpose. And then you have something that there's all these games where they're kind of deeper and they're like, these are a game, that type of activity. You could do it at the start because people just wouldn't be there with you. You have to create the dynamic. So that example might be a game like that where people are going through a woodland as part of the education program and you do a silent walk. And the whole thing is just... This is just the game. It's just it's a silent walk, but people will have this direct, deep experience. And then the last phase is re- reflection. Yeah. And it's, that's called sharing inspiration or something. And you can see this through loads of different things. 
and like the, I had the it, yeah east west like we're using the points of the compass to, to go yeah. through the program as well like yeah yeah or how there's other theories like the experiences are like a wave where it just starts and it builds and then there's a point where it comes down and there's yeah. all models and and like with German Cornell I had experimented loads with it and it was trialing different games for different purposes over years and stuff that worked and then you'd find games that work with like any kind of group so if there was 30 games in the book there was like two of his that were like dependable in 90% of situations and another two you made up along the way mm. and it was all about the kind of like the method and like so you could do education programs based on this concept these concepts and you'd no problem you could be in the woods six hours what we do in the woods for six hours people at the end they're like going was that is it over what starts happening then is when you're doing wild work stuff and things go by so we behind the way we do stuff there's all those same thoughts and processes to how you design programs how you deliver in the outdoors but what starts to happen is someone goes you've got 40 minutes or you you've got 10 minutes well, we can only do this or we can do that. And they start realizing like, or you're so busy, you don't have time to think of all the games and design the program. And, or a lot of things you might need to prepare for doing outdoor education. You need to like get your nets. You need to like get matchsticks for some other thing. You have to get paint. You need to bring along laminated material. You have all these jobs that you have to do in preparation for the activity. And it's like the activity might be an hour long session with a primary school and you've spent two days preparing for it three maybe a day the program design and two days prepping it slash giving it a go trialing it you're kicking all the effort right you're going yeah. nodding like yeah i've done it yeah right and then you start going okay there's a class of students who want you to take them on a walk you've got like 20 minutes and you were just asked so i started realizing is that like the teachable moment or using nature as a place-based tool you could actually just like after a while forget all that stuff i just said you know so it's for the how we do it. It's just forget about it. Just throw that stuff out the window. I'm not saying it's not good, but it's almost like nature, so powerful and effective. If you just know how to use it, mm. you don't need to prepare anything. Yeah. Like So if you have your aims of your program, mm -hmm. which we've done this before, we're like, what does this program want to teach? So there's like 10 things that we want to achieve. We go to the sort of place that can happen. And basically we just go to the place and have a good time with people and we know that nature is going to provide you with the things it's like so bell in that stream outside the classroom and as you start going through the program then the participants have knowledge want to stay things so stuff starts coming up and just let that stuff fill the blanks for what you want to teach people and then when you're a little bit of the way through your program you're like oh my god that thing i wanted to achieve that's already ticked so is that we've actually covered that we were in a meadow and they happened to be somebody there cutting grass and we had a conversation about how to do pollinator friendly lawn management and everyone thought it was and we did this discussion around that it's like it starts doing it but what i found was that somewhere at the core of it, it it's like all this journey to learning this process but ultimately then what it comes down to is an uh, an educator should be able to be landed with any group of people and the natural environment and you should have to teach them about nature and just by going through there and not like you are dictating what you want to teach them it's like nature itself will actually throw up the thing that needs to be learned about like mm -hmm. so my comment of throw it all away that's you know I'm not saying necessarily to do that but it's like people miss the point the most important piece which is that nature provides the teachable moments 
you know, yeah. it, it provides the moments for engaging people. So all of even Cornell's games and the different games, ultimately, you go into the woods and if you just understand the thought process, you know, you can find the things you need for the games. It can all even come to you as you go along. And that's what we've kind of found. It's like, so even in that video, nature is providing the experience like it's in, it's doing the engagement it's providing the sounds it's the learning it's the thing that's bringing up the things that Walty and I are talking about and it's all like you said it's place-based but it's something more than that it's like we are putting our trust yeah in the experience but I do that, understand yeah. if you're a knowledgeable guide if you like through the experience yeah. then you go and you see what there is like as somebody who really knows uh, everything there is to know about birds doesn't need to prep a walk. They go somewhere where they know there's going to be interesting birds and they bring people along Yeah, and they explain to them all about the birds and for them to talk about or ask questions to whatever comes up through the moments that were experienced when everyone was together. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, but, I mean, or, but right, just on that again, right? I don't disagree with that, Amanda. That's hmm. a good example of it. But again, you don't have to be the bird expert to bring about that experience for yeah. those people about learning yeah, about birds. Sure, yeah. And even for, say, teachers, like a, like a lot of people are nearly intimidated by having to teach the content because they think they don't know it. Mm. But it's more like the experiential thing. It brings up the experience for interaction with each other, it engages people on the topic. The out nature, the experience brings up the teachable moment and then you can then explore it together. And for their learning to be happening, yeah, it helps if the person who's the trainer is all knowledgeable, but it's okay if there's loads of things that are not knowledgeable on. So even on like flowers, say wildflowers, imagine the trainer is just enthusiastic. Now that counts for something, definitely, right? enthusiasm. But imagine they're enthusiastic about wildflowers. They know a few, or they might not even know what they're called, in fact. Who mm. cares if they know what they're called? They might think, oh, I've seen this flower, it's blue. I think it's just the most gorgeous flower ever. Let's go on a walk and find out which flower do you think is the most gorgeous flower. And it can be on that level without the expertise, just with understanding how you can use yeah. just raw nature as a thing to engage people and bring up a desire to learn more about it. Because that's kind of what you're trying to do. It's like going back, remember the very start of this? It's like if we can get people thinking about this, then we get people talking. And with this program as well, where the six parts of the module, something can come up. You might know the answer. You might not have the expertise. That's going to be okay because you can go and discover it and it can be found elsewhere. And often as well, in fact, the, this you brought up something very important, say not about the expertise. A lot of the time, people can be experts and pretend that they don't know what they're talking about. Mm. And it can be nearly a good approach to take because it's not look at us with all the knowledge here like it's let's it's figure nearly, it out yeah and and it's that's a really good one because it's like what you're trying to do in teaching people through a wildwork approach i think is you're trying to get everyone in the same page as each other trying to get everyone to feel the same about the learning experience like it doesn't matter who has the knowledge it's about us all learning together so yeah if there's an expert on birds in the group all well and good but it could be, or the teach, the trainer could be the expert, or some participant could, but people might not not know anything about birds, but still someone might have noticed the bird of prey, because if you again keep using nature, you get 
people engaged in it i'm kind of deliberately pushing this now that level it's like you're ultimately trying to get people immersed in what's there and then the learning outcomes just magically appear out of it like it's like a guarantee uh, and you can steer then the what the role of the trainer is to almost facilitate learning in that process then you, you can steer it towards how that relates to ecological corridor creation or you know what i'm getting at it's like yeah that's the, i know that i think those words were um pertinent there that it's a you're looking at a facilitator rather yeah. than a trainer like that makes a difference actually that that, that different way of of thinking about it you're you're facilitating learning through experiences but also conversations that people are going to have with each other and you know somebody mentioning something else and through that taking a walk together and looking for what um engages them or what they're like you said you know what's your favorite that I, I like that actually what's your um what's the flower you think is the most beautiful like that it doesn't it doesn't have to be about the um the species because I think people get really hung up on yeah on that kind of stuff and I always say to the lads if you were looking at this and you're writing something or you're doing something you're figuring what to go in and it's a piece of information that you know somebody will have forgotten an hour after the course don't put it in <laughs> like you know nobody needs to know that this tiny patch of ocean was once called the something something go because nobody will ever remember that unless they're going to university to study it in order to be able to write scientific papers on it yeah cares? that that's not the message that's not the the thrust of it actually um no, and the thrust is to get the understanding and that deeper kind of concept into somebody rather than yes, that's it. Knowledge. Yeah, that's it. Like, and even on the person that goes to the university, they might be tested to find out do they know, which means they can <laughs> demonstrate. But do they really know? No, they probably don't. And, yeah, and they might and so, remember yeah. two years later either. You know, so no, and like what what I what what our conversation if someone was listening in and might think this sounds like all airy fairy stuff it's not like it, it's, mm. this is for the learning because we're teaching this is a training program so therefore people should be learning right so for that to be most powerful it has mm. to have some sort of an impact like a wow moment needs to happen for the people to participate in this program so if you're trying to steer it in this through this approach that i'm talking about where you put your trust in these places you know that that it bring it out and you put your trust that everyone is knowledgeable we're all learning together it just i seldom will say it's black and white but i nearly say it's as black and white as you can guarantee that something amazing is going to happen for people that real learning will come up something will happen in a real deep way for people in that experience but they're going to remember it forever it's going to change like how they think about stuff mm. like like i'll give you one i'll give you an example this is a brilliant example of a moment, right? Mm -hmm. I was in college and uh, I did adventure sports. It was called outdoor education, but it was like, do you want to be an adventure sports mm -hmm. leader with the cell? And I was a typical, whatever, almost 18 year old, went off to college and I thought, it didn't bring anything because I thought like the first two weeks is getting drunk. That's what I thought it was. And then we'd get our, we'd get our schedule and we'd get whatever and you'd go home and then you'd, so our first day was we did some sort of an icebreaker thing 
and we got to all get to know each other, which is a bit like the awaken enthusiasm. Then we got taught how to put up tents and boil water on a transia cooker and put it into groups. And we were not told what we need. We were not given a list of whatever. We were told what we were doing. You're going camping in Connemara tomorrow. We want you in these groups. You know how to put up tents. You know how to put up transias. And you're going to need to get yourself a sleeping bag, uh, a rucksack if you have one. You need to go shopping together for food. Where bus is leaving at nine o'clock in the morning. This is the three o'clock in the day. Off you go. My first day in college. Mm. So like that. Got, they, these people now weren't unprepared. They were deliberately throwing us into the experience. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Right. Very deliberately. <laughs> and we had to go way off. And here we were. Anyway, I'm in Nike Air Max runners, with a training <laughs> bag. And we came up through rhododendron forests and they brought us through the rhododendron forest up the mountain because it was so overgrown and jungly that it'd be yeah. almost like cool where the kids on an adventure and not realize we're hauling way too much stuff because all of us like in terms of the weight we needed to bring. I was in a group with four lads and each one of the four lads bought more than enough food for the four lads. So we had food for 16 people for one night of camping that we were carrying. Yeah. Well, I just painted the picture of where we were and how thick we were, <laughs> like whatever. But <laughs> we're getting up and we got out of this rhododendron forest. And I was like buzzing. You know, I just was like, this was such, this was such a like an enlivening experience. Who would have thought that instead of going to the pub, I would have been dragged up through these forests and in this group of cool people that I knew. And we're going camping tonight in mountains in Ireland. It was so, and then I was sitting yeah. down and I was over next to the lecturer eating my lunch. And I was kind of, I was really you now lapping it up. I just wanted to know more. I'd find it, I was an engaged learner, but still a little delinquent. And we were eating away and I had banana lunch and I just chucked it. So we're in like um, blanket bag at this stage. And I just threw the banana skin. Banana like. skin yeah. And in my mind, I was, Actually, the good thing is, you know, if you throw your, throw your food scraps away, like you, the wildlife can eat it or whatever. A gift to nature. Yeah. This was before Leave No Trace came to Ireland or anyone in Ireland had even heard of it. And he goes, um, the way he said it was like, you know, I forget him what he said, but he didn't make me feel bad anyway. I just like, you know, there was no one here before us or how come you threw that there? He asked me or whatever it was. And he just... He just said, like, you know, it doesn't really break down here or there's no one here before. So we just try and keep it when we go into the outdoors, like no one knew you, knew you were here. And the trip went on and it was amazing, a brilliant experience. I can just stop the story there. Because what happened, he made me think about my impact on the landscape. Hmm. I was 18. I had never, ever thought of that once in my whole life. I might have seen... I've seen people like cutting down forests and be like, why the hell are they doing that? And or oh, whatever. But I had never thought, engaged with the thought of my impact on the landscape through just things like throwing a banana. And he just like planted it there. Mm. And he completely changed everything. He completely changed me, like the way. And like I can remember this clear and loads more learning experiences, but like that was him using experience using experiential learning he reached me it went straight down to my core and it completely changed so much about me like and even after that I still did stuff that was like having an impact and not mm. good and 
there was a bit of misbehaving along the way even after that but it's like he changed stuff even it if i was doing the seed, planted the seed yeah. anyway like yeah yeah so like because the approach he was following was one that was it was place-based it was experiential mm. he was focused on getting me engaged the way he was doing it he wasn't being condescending or trying to impart knowledge he was just you can be sure he was waiting for a chance for that someone it just happened to be me who threw the banana skin. Whoever threw something, he knew it was going to happen. He was just going to... Yeah. But, like, this is the thing that when you brought up the college thing, they go up and they learn and you get the knowledge. Like, you get told what things are. Like, you forget then, too. So the purpose of this training program, by the way I see it, is it the purpose of wild work is it changes how people think and feel and it can be so simple how that happens. So we can take all the evaluation boxes, they learn about this, that, all the different stuff. And that would be wonderful and make it interesting and so on. But it, why are we doing it? It's because we want to change how people think about our like impact on the landscape. And then that can be for good or for bad too. And one of the big changes that we can make with wild work is that a lot of us, we think about how little we can do, first of all all environmental education not all but lots of it is about making little differences and small impacts and i'm like screw that like yeah i get it it makes sense like we all do something small collectively it all's up into something big and that's okay there's merit in it and it's wonderful but it's also defeatist in that so when we go and teach people in uh, a pharmaceutical plant about biodiversity action and what difference they can make for biodiversity like course it's not going to it's only going to be a drop in the ocean for the global biodiversity crisis like it's and it'll be making the little difference and adding to it that's all good and well and good but what about looking at the impact that they can have on the status of biodiversity where they are so it's like yeah the all iron pollinator plan is like scaled down it's looking at oil making a difference that's really good but the more localized it gets if you buy a new house, if you're lucky enough, actually, that's probably an unfair example. <laughs> People who can't afford it. Yeah. Like if you get a new home and you've got a new garden and it has a baseline biodiversity value already, what can you do to that? Like how much can you increase that baseline? So the, the positive side of wild work is like we're going, yeah, great, we can all make a small difference. It's wonderful to do all that. But hang on now. Look at what you can actually do, like measure the impact of what we can do. And we try to inspire people about that. And you use the place to do it then. Mm. But that's, and that guy, like, I don't know why I went there with it. It's like that guy did that to me. He had a huge impact through something so, so, so small, but he was probably thinking that. He wasn't really concerned with stopping me from the, he wasn't concerned about the banana skin. And if, if everyone throws one less banana skin, it all adds up to a lot of banana skins. <laughs> like, that's not yeah. it. So in what we're doing in the training program is that there's an inspirational aspect to this. Yeah. That we, we want people to feel like, wow, geez. So a farmer, like what you could do in a farm for biodiversity, for the life that lives on that farm, that hypothetical farmer from the very beginning. I mean, what that they can do to help life where they live, like, is if you want to measure it, like, it's it, mm. like this goes like this, like, it's very big what they can do, and that's what we're trying to look at them too. And then it, there's a feel good about all that sort of stuff, and it's not putting the horrors of the world like into a box and hiding them away, 
most of the people that come in this program are going to be completely tuned into the negative side of what's happening to the environment in Ireland. So we, we need to look at what we can do. And um, I, I think now, well, when we sold Wildwork first to the companies, we used the Yellowstone Wolf story. We had gave a talk to a load of high up people in companies in Cork. Mm, and yeah. the, the story that was told about what Wildwork is, we gave the story of the wolves in Yellowstone and what happened when they disappeared and how the yeah. ecosystem eventually led to becoming dying and they tried everything to fix it and nothing will work and eventually the wolves came back as you know and one thing led to the other and the wolves were this keystone species and they by having their wolves there it did made all this other magic happen and you could say wild rook is like the wolves but then when we were making the pitch we said to the business community that we wanted them to be our wolves Uh, yeah that's the end of the story and it's like so to the people in in a movement sense we want so if we want wild work to be the wolves it's not me or ccad or whatever it's we want the people who get involved in wild work to become like wolves catalysts for change you know you will be very happy to hear i hope then that one of our toolkit items is based or in the wellness module is based on the yellowstone wolf project Uh (laughs) it's all about wolves and well it's like it's got lots of links with ireland and stuff as well you know the moctera but like um yeah it's based on that concept of making that that change so that's cool that's good (laughs) Mm. um Good. Well, there you are now. Isn't that funny how those things kind of work out? Yeah, no, that one's uh yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, I I do, yeah, I, I do understand what you're saying, and I've done enough engagement with people through these different ways to know that that stuff happens. And um if you're naturally interested in everything, there's huge amount to be said about nearly anything. So there's very few places where you'll go where you won't find something to to direct people's attention to or to stop and for everybody just to stop and wonder at for a few minutes as well you know like even if you don't know how this geological formation happened to stop and ask questions and look at it and describe it to one another and and speculate you know um Mm. um, but I totally take your point and I love that I love those examples, Will, because it does does make you kind of stop and think about things in a different way. So I can see that you think about things outside the box a lot, which is a great ability to have. Um, so we will try and not get stuck in the box when we're thinking about these concepts as well. Thank you for listening to part two of our podcast. We hope you'll join us in part three. 